The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Cleveland Clinic, ranked number one in the nation in heart care, 24 years in a row, according to U.S. News and World Report. More information is available at clevelandclinic.org slash rankings. Good morning. I'm James Homan from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, October 12th. In today's news, Michael has reduced from a hurricane to a tropical storm, but at least six are dead and hundreds of thousands are still without power. Dina Powell passes on the chance to be UN ambassador, and President Trump looks to defuse trade tensions with China by agreeing to a meeting with Xi Jinping next month in Buenos Aires. But first, the big idea. The Turkish government has told U.S. officials that they have audio and video recordings to support their conclusion that Saudi journalist and Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi was killed inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Sources say that the recordings show a Saudi security team detained Khashoggi in the consulate after he walked in on October 2nd to obtain an official document he needed before his upcoming wedding. Then they killed him and dismembered his body. The audio recording in particular provides some of the most persuasive and gruesome evidence that the Saudis are responsible for Khashoggi's death. One person with knowledge of the recording tells my post colleague Shane Harris that you can actually hear Jamal's voice with the voices of men speaking Arabic. Then you can hear how he was interrogated, tortured, and yes, murdered. The existence of such evidence would explain why Turkish officials were so quick to blame Saudi Arabia for what happened. But Turkish officials say they're wary of releasing the recordings, fearing that they could divulge how the Turks spy on foreign entities in their country. It's not clear that U.S. officials have seen the footage or listened to the audio, but Turkish officials have described the contents to the American counterparts. Back here at home, the Khashoggi crisis is bringing fresh scrutiny to President Trump's business ties with Saudi Arabia. Trump's business relationships with the Saudi government and rich Saudi business executives go back to at least the 1990s. In Trump's hard times when he struggled, a Saudi prince bought a super yacht and hotel from him. The Saudi government paid Trump $4.5 million for an apartment near the United Nations. Business from Saudi-connected customers continued to be important even after Trump won the presidency, maybe especially so. Saudi lobbyists spent more than a quarter million dollars last year alone to reserve rooms at Trump's hotel in Washington, according to reporting from my colleagues Dave Ferenthold and Jonathan O'Connell. Just this year, Trump's hotels in New York and Chicago reported significant upticks in bookings from Saudi visitors. The Saudis have been trying hard to get in Trump's good graces, including cultivating his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. The Trump Organization issued a statement Thursday saying that although it has pursued new hotel deals in Saudi Arabia in the past, it has no current plans to do so. In the Oval Office on Thursday, Trump reiterated his opposition to blocking arms sales to Riyadh in response to the Khashoggi case. He said, quote, that would not be acceptable to me. He explained they'd just buy weapons from Russia or China instead. Meanwhile, other Western business leaders are distancing themselves from the Saudis in the wake of Khashoggi's disappearance. Virgin Group founder Richard Branson said he's suspending his work as a director of two Saudi tourism projects. 
And tech investor Steve Case, the founder of AOL, said he's putting on hold plans to attend a big investment conference later this month. Finally, some good news amidst this sea of despair. The White House expects North Carolina pastor Andrew Brunson to be released by the Turkish government and return to the U.S. in coming days, two years after he was wrongly detained for evangelizing. The details of the deal are unclear, but people familiar with the discussions tell NBC that it includes a commitment by the U.S. to ease economic pressure on Turkey. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Tropical Storm Michael has unleashed flash flooding through the Carolinas and Virginia, leaving hundreds of thousands without power. It's super windy here in D.C. this morning. You can literally hear it howling outside. Meanwhile, authorities continue to assess the catastrophic damage that Michael unleashed in the Florida panhandle. At least six people have died as a result of the storm in Florida and North Carolina. FEMA director Brock Long warns that the death toll will go up as rescue teams reach the area's hardest hit. The town of Mexico Beach, Florida, which was home to about a thousand residents, appeared to have been almost destroyed by Michael's impact. Most of the town has now been reduced to kindling. Entire blocks are now essentially empty. And the Tampa Bay Times reports that Florida's largest psychiatric hospital in the town of Chattahoochee was left completely inaccessible after Michael passed through. The hospital was not evacuated ahead of the storms, so 1,400 patients and staff were stranded inside without power or working phones. Their only means of contacting first responders was a single emergency radio. Number two, former Deputy National Security Advisor Dina Powell withdrew from consideration to replace Nikki Haley as UN ambassador. Trump had told several advisors that Powell, who's currently back at Goldman Sachs, was his preferred choice and that he planned to offer her the job. Politico reports that Trump's advisors hope replacing Haley with another woman, even if it's not Powell, will help narrow the historic gender gap expected in the midterms. That's probably wishful thinking. Candidates Trump's considering now include Nancy Brinker, who headed the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation, as well as former New Hampshire Senator Kelly Ayotte, and Kelly Knight-Craft, the current U.S. ambassador to Canada. The Wall Street Journal adds that Trump has been thinking very seriously about who is going to replace Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Everyone is assuming that he'll be pushed out right after the midterms. According to the Journal, Trump has narrowed it down to five potential candidates. They include current HHS Secretary Alex Azar, Transportation Department General Counsel Stephen Bradbury, former Attorney General Bill Barr, Deputy Secretary of State John Sullivan, and Janice Rogers-Brown, a retired appellate court judge. Number three, Trump has agreed to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping next month at the G20 summit in Argentina in hopes of diffusing trade war tensions. The plan set down represents the first direct talks since August. It's a temporary victory for the internationalists and the free traders inside the administration. Yet the U.S.-China relationship has been fraying on an array of issues, so few analysts anticipate any kind of major breakthrough. Xi is expected to push the president to abandon or at least defer plans for further tariffs. Some U.S. officials, like Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and top economic advisor Larry Kudlow, want to conclude the trade war before economic damage pushes the U.S. into a recession. In related news, Trump's announcement to withdraw from the Trans-Pacific Partnership just days after taking office 
created a chain of unintended consequences that has led to a major setback for democracy in Vietnam. When America pulled out of TPP, Vietnam's communist government was no longer bound by various agreements it had made to join the Free Trade Pact. The U.S. government had carefully engineered the agreement to secure promises from the communists to allow independent trade unions, strengthen environmental controls, and perhaps most importantly, permit a free and open internet. Activists say that as the TPP was being negotiated, a budding movement of Vietnamese activists, including a lot of young people, used social media to spread ideas about worker rights and democracy. But now, the dynamic has reversed. Vietnam scrapped plans to allow trade unions, and it has unleashed its most severe clampdown on dissent in decades. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, October 12th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Have a good weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday.